This is Toledo Symphony Lab, a behind-the-scenes look at the world of classical music from WGTE Public Media and your Toledo Symphony. I'm Brad Cresswell. Joining me by phone today are the Toledo Symphony's music director, Alain Trudel. We also have the TSO's marketing director, Felicia Canny. Welcome to both of you. Glad to be here. Yeah, now, Elaine, you're still up in Canada. Felicia, you're, oh, yeah. you're safe and sound at home as well. I just want to do a quick yeah. check-in, see how things are, are going. <laughs> well, things, are, things are going fine. I, uh, I miss you uh, and all, all of our, uh, our public and uh, everybody in, in Toledo, but uh, we'll be back soon enough. Yeah. Felicia, how's it going down there? Uh, all is quiet in the house so far, which is always good, <laughs> but I am um, moving rooms, so you might hear differences in my voice. <laughs> That's okay. That's all right. That's the, the nature of the beast, as it were. Well, today we're going to talk about this concept of color in symphonic music. Alain, you've assembled this this quite spectacular program that is happening on the uh, WGTE Presents TSO and HD episode it's Sunday afternoon at 6 o'clock. Folks, if you haven't been watching these, it's a wonderful way to connect with the symphony and to really see, you know, the, the, the real details of everything that goes on in an orchestral performance. Just a thrilling, uh, thrilling experience. So that'll be this Sunday at 6 o'clock on WGTE-TV. A lot of music on here, and I want to talk about some of these pieces, but I want to drill down a little bit to this whole idea of symphonic color and... Felicia, I'm going to ask you to sort of play the part of the consumer, the listener, the uh, sort of a proxy for the audience members. And Elaine, I want you to talk about the mechanics of creating color in a symphonic work, because you have experience doing this as a performer. You have experience doing this as a conductor, bringing those colors to life. And also, of course, as a composer. And we're going to hear one of your pieces on this program. So, you have a sort of a multifaceted view of what it is to create and bring color to the stage in the form of a symphony. Before we get started, maybe one of you can just talk a little bit about the whole concept of, of symphonic colors and where it fits into the into the program that we're talking about. Elaine, do you want to begin? Sure. Um, well, uh, we try to, uh, as far as the programs go, um we, we try to uh, alternate uh, alternate between you know programs that are uh, symphonies with very uh, elaborate and long movements like Mahler's second that, that we just had on the radio uh, and, and on TV and uh, the one after the, the the color program which was also symphony with long movements with uh, programs that have um, uh, that, that are more like uh, not excerpts, but uh, shorter works and uh, multiple shorter movements and, and works and, and different kind of textures that we can find in the, that, that the orchestra can play and uh, it, it shows different sections of the, of the orchestra because it we keeps it entertaining for everybody also. And it's nice to have a diversity uh, in, the, in the repertoire and, and, the, and the colors that the, that the orchestra can make during that. And not that you don't have many, many different colors in the Mahler Symphony, because you do, because it goes from uh, chamber music playing to uh, the very huge orchestra and, and, and chorale uh, playing together as uh, the block chords and things like that. So we do have that. But it's nice to have sometimes moments that are so short 
that you can focus on on one kind of idea, one kind of color, and then go to a next thing that's completely different. Yeah. Yay! Okay. <laughs> we the, still get the soundboard? Yes. That's the, amazing. The soundboard is back in action for this episode. <laughs> Felicia, why don't you talk just a little bit about this concept of color? Because... You know, you you sit in the audience for most of these programs, but of course you are also a musician, an oboist. You have a lot of experience with this repertoire. What what does it mean to you, this whole concept of colors in a symphonic work? Well, I I love the title, Symphonic Colors, and um, the the performance we did a couple of years ago called Colors, because I think it gives audience members, like, a a great analogy, um, to understand what is happening on stage, uh, because the the instrument sections are kind of all of the paints, and the composer and the conductor get to mix and match all of these paints to create uh, different different sound colors for everyone to hear. And um, I, I miss being in the audience because what is so great about those large PSO and HD screens of the Paris style is is that you get to see and zero in on what color is being used at a certain time, and it really really helps um, focus the listening and keep people um, attuned to what is really happening on stage. Because it's not like unless you go to a concert with with a score in front of you and you understand and can see on paper what is happening, it's it's a little bit. Um, it's different, and I think um, colors is it's a great, uh, not a crutch exactly, but a great starting point to understand and um, see what is happening on stage. Yay! <laughs> I had to give you the, uh, the applause button as well, Felicia, for that. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Let's talk about the program in particular, because you mentioned, Elaine, there are a lot of shorter pieces, some excerpts here and there. So it's a, a big, yeah. wide palette of colors that are being displayed in this concert. And it's actually the the only um, TSO and HD program that we're also including uh, a performance of the Star-Spangled Banner. It's such a beautiful anthem. And uh, I, I I wanted to include it because the words of it also, you know, it has to do with resilience and uh, we need that right now. We need to remember that, you know, we are resilient and, and you know, the situation we're in will come to pass. We'll learn from it. But it's, uh, you know, anthems sometimes are underrated musically. I mean, uh, I know the Canadian one that is <laughs> written by uh, one of the most, uh, you know, influential composer of his time, but it's kind of mostly forgotten these days. So, it's important that that we play them. Um, I remember I have an experience of uh, I was uh, conducting the all the orchestra uh, the orchestra for all the anthems of the Commonwealth Games uh, a few years ago, and we had to record all there were forty one anthems, wow. and uh, some of them in uh, wow. South America they're like symphonic poems. Some of them are like eight minutes long. <laughs> it's like whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, nice. it's interesting, but but uh, ours is harder to sing. Yeah, but you know what? It, it tells a story. So yeah. uh, and and it, it talks about the character and talks about the personality. Like this is very direct. This anthem, and it's uh, it's uh, to the point. But at the same time, it's um, uh, like I said. I mean, I I know I I repeat what I just said, but uh, the resilience in it is it was something super important for me. So I yeah. want to start with that. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and a reminder of community and how we come together uh, in, yeah. in, in these performances. So I should simplify my, my voice part for the national anthem, right? Remove all the runs and the, the Mariah Carey. All the roulades. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. You, you, you know, some people actually transcribe those, those things and put them on the Internet. If you're looking for every note that was sung, that, that you know, I, I don't know. There, there's something... There's something I, I I really like about keeping it simple when you play the national anthem. Yeah, you know? let's talk a little bit about some of the other composers that are on this program. Okay. Uh, many of them known for creating great orchestral colors. Probably mm. the top of this list, if we exclude you uh, as a composer, would be uh, Nikolai Rimsky-Korsakov, somebody who really dabbled in symphonic co- uh, colors. But we're going to hear the, the flight of the bumblebee, which everybody knows. Mm-hmm. That's a piece yeah. that has gone through so many different arrangements and versions. But talk a little bit about the the actual uh, orchestral version of this. So exactly for the reason you said, it's so well known and everybody knows what it is. Everybody knows all the versions. God knows I've played it many times. It's a we, you know. But uh, it's it's good to play the whole piece where it's from. So it's the the tale of the Tsar Salta. By Rimsky Korsakov, as you mentioned, Rimsky Korsakov was one of the greatest orchestrator uh, of our genre of symphonic music, along with Ravel, they're, they're the, the two greatest ones. And uh, I mean, you know, there's, we can talk about many others, but those they, they made it a big part of their career to um, to to find the different colors you can have in the orchestra. So, of course, the bumblebee is important, but but what comes after the the, the last movement of that suite? Uh, I wanted to keep on because there's so many different ways of, of you know, matching. It's the al- al- alchemy of it, you know, like when you when, when you have a, uh, oh, there's a trumpet with an uh, oboe sound. Oh, there's the string section with, uh, okay, perhaps some clarinet and some horn sound. Oh, there's, you know, so you put all of them together and you get different. Uh, it's like you can see a, a chemist and there's a, in his laboratory, you know, that yeah. changes color, um, changes um, textures. So Rimsky Korsakov is like that. Like the original Bumblebee is very, very uh, transparent. Of course, it's not. It doesn't sound like something that's uh, ver- in your face virtuoso like we do very often. It's basically just the strings playing and just oh, the flute joining in, bring it to the clarinet, bringing it back to the violin. It takes. Um, takes a little bit of courage to program in and especially to play it because it's everybody knows it very well it's played all the time and but you know and we didn't go halfway we played it at you know like neck breaking speed and the orchestra did <laughs> very well on it so i wanted to include it in the program yeah. who now what better piece to start uh, after our anthem that then then something by Korsakov, probably the best known thing with you know, Shehazad that he ever did. So uh, and 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 also to take our public and continue because uh, that's the third movement of our, our fourth move, uh, four movement suite. So we continue into the last movement of that after that. So as a composer, maybe you can write a follow up to uh, Rimsky Korsakov and call it the the invasion of the uh, murder hornets or the killer wasps or whatever. <laughs> Whatever that, that, no, no, that would be, yeah. horrifying that, that would be the insect is. <laughs> yeah, that, that wouldn't just be the strings. You'd have to bring in a few more instruments. Uh, well, <laughs> oh, ju- just for my. kicks, I want to spend a, a minute here for folks, you know, for the maybe one or two people who, who don't know what we're talking about. And, and this is a little memory refresher here. 
Now we hear the piano, see if we can identify this sound. I think, distorted. Yeah, I think it's synthesized, but it's supposed to be kazoos. I did that in your honor, of course, Felicia. Yeah, I feel like I have PTSD. <laughs> <laughs> you, you've had enough kazoo, right? Okay, <laughs> I'll take that down. But, you know, it, it, it's one of the most entertaining pieces in the repertoire, and, and that's why it's always excerpted, of course. Um. Elaine, I, I know I'm asking you a lot of questions, and I want to get Felicia in on this. Uh, and maybe we'll turn to you now, Felicia, to talk a little bit about uh, these two guest conductors, because we, we've watched programs directed by Elaine, and for this particular program, he's brought in a couple of works with some favorite guest conductors, especially Giordano Bellincampi, who's uh, doing the fourth movement from the Scottish Symphony of Felix Mendelssohn, do you want to say a few words about Giordano and also about uh, James Fedick, who's conducting uh, Smetana's de Moldau? Yes. So Giordano has been a longtime conductor with the Toledo Symphony, uh, guest conductor with the symphony for many years. And um, I remember sitting in the audience when he was uh, leading the orchestra through Scottish, and it, it, it's like it was just like a dear friend coming back to visit, you know, and staying for a while. And it's, it's a really, um, it's, it's nice that we get a season where we can, you know, Elaine Trudell has the opportunity to introduce and invite some guests to, to work with the symphony because it mixes, mixes things up a little bit. And, you know, we always uh, learn a little bit more from someone um, who's coming in for a little bit. And then we get to use that in our, our, our tool bag, our palette, to, um, to prepare for our future performances as well. And I also remember um, James Fedick. I had not seen him before with the orchestra, and I've only been with the orchestra for about seven years. Um, so he was uh, a newer uh, person um, in the lineup. And I remember I usually sit in the Paris style, um, kind of on the back of the main floor, or up in the raised section, or kind of walking back and forth uh, mm. along the promenade. Um, but with the the James Fedick uh, concert, I believe that's the one with Julian Schwartz as well. Uh, I was seated in like the second or third row, uh, and I had never sat there before. So that in and of itself as a new experience, getting to be that close to the orchestra and the sound that hits. And um, to see the different conducting styles of uh, our guests, it was just really, really interesting to watch. And those, t- I mean, I'll, I'll commend the TSO and HD screens and all of the people who produced those as w- again, because it's uh, fascinating to see what it looks like from the orchestra's perspective, yeah. the conductors and their different techniques and ways of uh, conveying the music. Now, Elaine, why don't you put on your conductor hat for a minute and give us a little bit of a, a backstage tour of what you have to do as a conductor, like to bring out colors and contrast and pieces like this. Is it a matter of like, hey, you strings need to play softer so I can hear the flute? I mean, how much of it is mechanics and how much of it is just feeling through the through the orchestra? Great question. Yeah, it's it's interesting because you you mentioned like playing softer. It it's not so much about the dynamic. It's um it's not so much about you know it's like if you mix uh, 
if you have a, a glass with half of it as wine and then you start pouring water in it and then it be, the, the, the taste becomes different, of course, I don't recommend you do that. <laughs> but, the, <laughs> but the color becomes different. So it's like the pastel kind of thing in it. So there's a way of playing in the strings. For example, if you dig in and you play and you're really super connected between the bow and the string that makes a sound. And if you take the pressure off a little bit by little by little by little, then it becomes a, a sound that's more floating a little bit, uh, which is actually called flautendo. Uh, so th- there's a lot of colors in that. I mean, it, the program we did now I wasn't so much about that, because, I mean, otherwise I would have put uh, a lot of uh, French uh, composers in it. But we've had, on HD, we had, uh, we had a big program of French music uh, not so long ago. So... I wanted to have something that had to, more to do with composition than actually interpretation in it. Hmm. So I want to, to see the, the, uh, the outlook from, from different composers. Like if we talk about uh, Mendelssohn, which I'm so happy I could include Giordano and in, in the, the, our, our TV uh, series there because he's such a great friend of the orchestra and he's such a great musician too, right? So, uh, but uh, the, the way it's orchestrated, it's, it's, it's much lighter. Everything that's Mendelssohn usually, it's kind of on the lighter side of the orchestration, but it still has intensity. If we compare it to a big orchestra, which we have in Chai 5, but in, I, I, I didn't pick one of the big moments. I picked the, the vaults in it. But that's really interesting because Tchaikovsky really wrote the vaults, but he added two extra beats. You know, a vault is in three. Yum, yeah. bum, 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 bum. And he wrote... Yeah, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four. So it's a five. So that's really interesting. Don't try to dance to it, is what you're saying. <laughs> you, you'll fall over. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it, no, but it's it's interesting because this, of course, introduces the cellos. It's more based around the cellos, and everything around it is a component for us. But if you're going to Moldau, then it's all based around. Uh, the flutes at the beginning, but it's we're trying to create an image in the Smetana Moldau. That's uh, I'm, I'm just going through different pieces because it gives you an idea of what the composer is trying to mm-hmm. do. But it's like the the flow of the the water, you know. And this, yeah. so it's like uh, the you know the the, the river uh, the the river flowing through. So he he picked the flutes doing that, but with a little click click from from the strings, and then a little bit of harp. And you, it, it sets you perfectly in the right and the right idea. But to set you up, you need to to have the right, yeah, the right notes and the right tempos, the right things. But you need to have the right colors, and that's what we're trying to do a lot in in this one. So the colors are: what instruments do you pick? How do you mix them together? Uh, how you know you talked about dynamics, yes, but how do you play them? Do you play them in a a very uh, uh, not soft, sorry, uh, not not soft way, but in a way that's very tender, you know. So yeah. it's the difference between soft and tenderly, loud and assertive, you know, they're all the subtlety that that you have when you're when you're talking. There, those things are colors more than actual name of things that you're doing. Mm-hmm. You know. I want to take a, a quick little pause here and run you both through a, a personality color test. That we actually did, okay. we did that in the colors episode two seasons ago. But neither one of you were there, so you haven't taken this test yet, right? So what I'm going to ask you is to identify, and and maybe even decide on it. Maybe it just is for right now or today, or under whatever circumstances we're facing. Tell me your favorite color and why. 
Okay, so let's start with you, Felicia. I'll give you a little bit of music in the background. Tell me your favorite color and, and why it's your favorite color. Oh, man, I was just grilled on this question a couple days ago by my kindergartner. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my favorite color is red. Um, it, and it has changed over the years, but I've kind of settled on red because I love how how bold it is and how bright. And it's a primary color, so you can mix it with a lot of, like you mix it with yellow and blue to create a bunch of other colors. And if you mix it all together, you get brown. Um, and I, I think for me, it's kind of the opposite of how I view myself. So I really like that a lot. And I like using it because it's different. It's actually, in my view, different than who I am. Yay! Wow. That was quite an answer. That was a great oh. answer. Okay. I know. Red. I was grilled. <laughs> <laughs> so Felicia is red. Uh, Elaine, I'm going to cue up the music again. You can tell us all about your favorite color. Okay. All right, hit it. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> well, my favorite color is blue. Uh, blue is the sky. Blue is the water. Blue is, uh, for me, it's hope. Uh, blue also is a gateway to green. Uh, it plays well with uh, with yellow. plays well with other colors. <laughs> uh, it, it goes towards, you know, from... Like I said, from the, the blue of the sky to the aqua uh, of the ocean. I mean, this is uh, it's Mother Earth. It's uh, it's a color that uh, moves me. And also, it's, uh, you know, I, being a jazz uh, musician, I like the blues. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> wow. Two great, uh, fantastic answers from both of you. I have to say my favorite color is red. And, man, I'm embarrassed to even try to talk about it now after hearing what Felicia had to say because mine is not <laughs> mine is not anywhere near as, you know, well thought out as yours. But, of course, I had not been grilled by a kindergartner uh, leading up to this question. <laughs> but, but my kids do have something to do with it. I mean, I identified with blue probably uh, a few years ago, but then I, I made a switch to red. I just decided that red was the color of... Uh, participation. Red was the color of action, and it seemed to me to make sense. My kids latched onto that, so now they know my favorite color is red, and I can't change it uh, for anything. Now, personality quiz. You talk about action, but then immediately I pictured a stop sign. (laughs) Oh, that's right. Yeah, I hadn't (laughs) thought of that. (laughs) Hadn't thought of that. Oh, well. You might want to change your color. (laughs) I'm a Gemini, so it's okay. It's okay to have both ways. So, um, Here are the results of the personality test. Uh, Let's start with uh, Felicia and myself, because it's pretty short. It's just one sentence here. People who love red. Okay. Those who love red live life to the fullest and are tenacious and determined in their endeavors. Okay. So that's you and I, Felicia. We're tenacious and determined. Okay. Nice. Yeah. (laughs) Now, now, Elaine. Blue, here we go. This is actually a little bit longer and more complicated. So if blue is your favorite color, you love harmony, are reliable, sensitive, and always make an effort to think of others. You like to keep things clean and tidy and feel that stability is the most important aspect in life. Would you agree with that? Are are you a clean and tidy person, Elaine? Obviously, I'm not in my house right now. uh... (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, it's, uh, it's like astrology a little bit, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, but I, you know what I like the most uh, about color? It's, it's, uh, 
in music is uh, the the way that like people like Messiaen use colors, you know? Yeah, Olivier Messiaen. Yeah. Yeah, Olivier Messiaen. He, he saw uh, some people have that that ability to when they listen to a sound, they they kind of see a color. And oh, uh, yeah. we, Syn- I, synesthesia, I believe, is what you're talking about. Synesthesia, exactly. Yeah. yeah. We, I think we had that talk uh, two years ago when we were talking about the color program. Yeah. But um, yeah, but the, for me, it's uh, that different chords have. I mean, I don't really have that that that, that ability, but they 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 have different kind of. Uh, I don't know that for me, it's it's not the color per se, but the mm, the, the little feeling inside it takes you. Uh, how it sits inside of you a little bit, you know? Yeah. Give us a quick little uh, two-minute rundown on your piece that we're going to hear. It's called Rhea, R-H-E-A, um, inspired by the the Greek goddess or titan who is the mother of Zeus, but also yes. relates to a, a specific person in your history. Can you tell us about this piece? Uh, yes. Um, so Rhea, and, and also so, some people know uh, her name in a different way, because, you know, there's always the Greek uh, and the, the Roman mythology. So you might know from uh, Sibel, like in Decibel, you know, Sibel. Mm. Um, of course, the mother of Zeus. I wanted to pay tribute to uh, a great um, supporter from the Toronto Symphony, the, the other GSO. That was, um, I wrote this about, I think, 15 years ago, something, 15, 16, I don't, I can't exactly remember. But she had... Um, her husband passed and she wanted to do a tribute but actually I thought of a tribute to her because it's um, it's you know it's hard when people pass but it's hard for the people who stay in <laughs> it the, yeah. the courage they need you know uh, to go through and she was a super courageous person Alexandra and and she um, she was a, of course um, um, somebody who, who worked a lot to help the symphony and so she said, well, you know, could, could you do something for this? Absolutely. And we're going on tour uh, in the north of Canada. And I, I wrote this piece. Uh, and I thought, you know, like uh, the, the most important person I could find in the mythology. But at the same time, Rhea is very, as, you know, it talks about sound. It talks about the music. Because whenever Sibella Rhea would show up uh, somewhere, there, it, it says that it would, she would be introduced by a great fanfare of, uh, of drums and trumpets. Yeah, I'm I'm the same way everywhere I go. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> At least we're not playing playing our theme music. Today, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but I, it's it's a very uh, simple piece, it's unpretentious. It's just you know it's about six minutes long. And what it does is as uh, again I was talking about those chords. It's uh, it's based on the, like Messiaen music a little bit on the limited the transposition mode, and I won't go into that. Because <laughs> uh, we like to keep our uh, our audience on the radio, but uh, it's, someday if you want, we can talk about most of the things like that. That would be fun. But uh, it's it's a base based around a few chords, the, should I say? And those chords we play around like uh, a little bit like Legos with the, the chords that we have, and there's a melody towards that. But the important thing is at the beginning. It's all based around one note, and that note opens up, and uh, you know you have the note that it's a D, and that there's little outbursts here and there to, that creates a melody that comes much later in the piece, and uh, that's uh, that's about. And at the end, there's a big, uh, a big timpani solo which represents the drums uh, that that would be intro to Rhea, and the trumpets. There's trumpets off stage, so I want to create that sound. 
that trumpets that were coming far away that says something is coming, you know, yeah. and that leads us to the end. And the last few chords, I even have the brass of the orchestra stand to play the last uh, few chords of the of the piece. And the the last chord of the piece, a big major chord, except there's a intrusion of one note that's not supposed to be there, <laughs> but that creates uh, a darkness into a very bright music. You, you so did that on purpose, right? You added that extra note. <laughs> it wasn't just something yeah, that happened. You were like, "Hey, that sounds good." <laughs> no, no, no. I didn't say no, no, no. no. It's okay. a major chord flat six. I mean, it's a, uh, it's you know, by nowadays it's not that strange of a chord, but uh, it's just you know, like like when you want to add a little, you take a super bright chord, like a bright color, and you add. It's like if you put a little bit of purple in your red, you mm. know. Interesting. So I, I add a little bit of darkness to, to that very bright chord at the end, to all the chords at the end. I just put a little bit of something dark to make it uh, stronger and to make it wider a little bit. So that, that goes really into the technical way of creating colors in the orchestra. Well, that's where the uh, colors play well with others uh, concept comes into, <laughs> comes into the yeah. equation. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, no, but seriously, primary colors, there's some... There's an equivalent of not primary colors, but primary things that you can do in the orchestra and the chords and the instrumentation. You know, you go back to the original, the origin of, of the, the genre, like, uh, you know, uh, all the way from uh, Frescobaldi to, uh, to Haydn to Mozart. And then you start, you know, it opens up. We have the, the great value and the great luck of having hundreds and hundreds of years of slow development of, uh, of the art form. It's not, you know, we, we didn't change everything in the last 50 years. It's hundreds and hundreds of years. So it was basically developed what, what was accepted and trying to stretch the limit of what we want to hear and what the public, you know, it, it can take a little bit. But now we have hundreds of years behind us. So, of course, the public of today uh, has such a wide range of different colors, if I may say, so that, that, that they can, that they know already in their DNA that we can do so many different programs, you know. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, we've had a great discussion. I mean, the whole idea of symphonic colors is a is a huge, huge landscape to to explore. Yeah. But some parts of it certainly displayed in this concert. I want to mention again this program, uh, hand curated by our music director Elaine Trudell, is happening on Sunday at six o'clock on WGTE TV, part of WGTE Presents TSO and HD. My thanks to uh, both Felicia Canny as well as Alain Trudell for joining me today. This program is a production of WGTE Public Media in collaboration with our sponsor, the Toledo Symphony, with generous support from the Rita Barber Kern Foundation. You can download episodes of our program as a podcast by going to our website at wgte.org lab. And you can also subscribe to us through your podcast app of choice, including both Apple and Google Podcasts. There are several different ways that you can connect with the Toledo Symphony and help keep the music alive during the current health crisis through the TSO's social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and their YouTube account. And, of course, you can watch WGTE-TV presents TSO and HD Sunday at 6 o'clock p.m. And you can also tune in to our Thursday night concerts on the radio at 8 o'clock p.m. Elaine and Felicia, thanks so much for joining me by phone. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll check in next time. Thank you, you too. Thank you.